Welcome to our next episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the Five Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Okay, welcome back to yet another series of the Performance Matters podcast series. Bob Moser here, one of your co-hosts. We are honored to have you listening in again. We hope you're finding these helpful. By all means, let us know what you think. We want to be sure we're talking about things that are meaningful to you in the world of workflow learning and the five moments of need, which we're also passionate about. We are honored to have another Experience Matters series, which is by far our most popular because we get to listen to wonderful folks who are on this journey that we're all trying to get better at. And we are so honored to have a dear friend and a great learning leader in our business, Uh, Joe Dunlop with us. He is the Director of Franchise Operations, Learning and Development and Communications at a wonderful place that is my wife's and my new favorite here in Portville, (laughs) South Carolina, Topper's Pizza. So Joe, welcome. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're so honored, my friend. So let's start out. Don't do the bio thing. Don't read off the page, that kind of deal. I want to make this conversation and have you tell your story. We always start by how you got here. So you use a wonderful and powerful word as we were kind of talking back and forth digitally earlier about your five moments of need transformation. Yeah. So why don't you start there, my friend, and tell us how you got to this place. Sure. And, you know, it really kind of starts, I started off like many people who are listening today. I was that guy. I was using e-learning, learning management systems and ROI. Patrick and Eddie and all those other tools very early in my career. And I was using them because everybody else around me was using them as well. And so I never really questioned the use of those tools or those methods until a chief financial officer mm. challenged me about ROI percentage. And <laughs> challenged is a light word. He kind of gave us a meeting on that one. Uh, <laughs> but it was a wake up moment for me because I realized that we were kind of overstating our importance with the course that we delivered. Mm. So ironically, about a week later, I saw an advertisement for a presentation that you were doing on five moments of need. And there was that voice in the back of my head that said, that's what you're looking for. And so I sat in with my team and we went through your entire presentation. And at the end of it, I mean, there was this aha moment for me and my team at that moment. We kind of looked around the room and said, this is kind of what we've been going after. And so the mindset changed for us at that particular moment from what do they need to learn to what do they need to improve performance? And so that was that start of that transformation for me. And it kind of leads me to that quote that you made not too long ago. And that is, paraphrasing the quote, is like, so when people come in and say, I need training, they are saying, we want to build a solution. So the impulse is to say, sure, let's go do it. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, well, what's the problem that we're trying to solve? And so that's why, as we made this transition, as I has made this transformation, the five moments of need are important because when the learning is applied, it often presents us with new challenges to solve, which leads to change and learning more. And because we have learned in the digital transformation, the next disruption is around the corner and we have to be present at all the time. Brilliant. Love the shift, my friend. I went through it myself. Still on it today. <laughs> tell, yeah. Don't mind, friend. Tell us a little bit more about your team. Now, I'd, I'd like to understand the learning team there a bit more. As you shared a moment ago, and I'm embarrassed that I didn't know this as much as I should have, you guys have been around for 30 years. That's yes, a remarkable anniversary you just shared. Tell us a bit more about your team and sort of what you oversee there, if you wouldn't mind. Yes. The team, actually, that I have here at Toppers is kind of exhibits a transformation that I've gone through. 
So typically in my past, when I've been a manager or director, usually it was over instructional designers, graphic designers, performance consultants, and really kind of bringing this transformation around. I do have an instructional designer. We mm. do utilize graphic designer as well, but we also have a member of our social media marketing team. Mm. Right? So we also have some local interns from the University of Wisconsin Whitewater who major in electronic media and digital journalism. Wow. And so they're helping us now to go out and tell the stories from our stores, to go out and investigate some of these pain points that we can see through our data analysis and help us really dig in much deeper. So my shop looks a lot different than what I would call a typical learning and development shop in that I'm not really looking necessarily for instructional designers to come and populate. I'm looking for people who are going in to understand what do those people need at that moment of need while they're in the flow of work. And so in, in order to avoid the mindset of let's build a course, I'm bringing in people who don't think naturally that way and really are thinking about performance solutions. Wow. Huge shift. And my friend, many who listen are from those more traditional shops, yeah. right? And, and what you described is very different. We're often asked, what are the new roles that are emerging? You know, what would my team look like downstream with this whole thing? What, you know, what's the journey for my IDs? If I see them being performance consultants or whatever the right word is, you know, how do I get them there? If I, if I may go off script a little bit in that journey, have you found that you've added new folks? Have you transitioned some into some of these roles you're discussing, or has it been a combination of both? It's been a combination of both. So one of the step backs for me was um, probably about seven or eight years ago, I brought in a gentleman who had been in the military, hmm. didn't have a bachelor's degree in instructional design, but had a whole lot of experience. And he came in and within a week, he was producing content. Hmm. And it woke me up to maybe my mindset has been in the wrong place with regards to hiring instructional designers. And so I really started to open up my mind of what am I really looking for? when we have a solution we need to come up with. Hmm. And that's what really started that transformation for me was the kind of people, for instance, a business analyst and, and a performance consultant, let's go in and understand that environment, organizational development, human resource business partners. And so what happened is at the time that I was really looking at this from a much different perspective, the organization that I was with started embracing the principles of lean startup and agile. Hmm. And so now you get cross multidisciplinary teams Love that. And what was a big shift for me is that I'm working with other people, for instance, communications or marketing, whatever area they're from. And they're like, I could take on that learning assignment. I can build that. And they had a much different twist on what that learning resource was and how they went about developing, but it was still effective. And that's what made the transition for me is, is that looking at a cross-functional team of people with different skill sets, I could almost build an assembly line from beginning wow. to end of how I wanted that to move. So if I thought about, for instance, the five moments of need, I could have people who are producing resources within days of identifying that problem that might move eventually to a course in instructional designer, or maybe it never gets all the way there. <laughs> Love that. What a 180 flip for our mindset, right? We walk into our first meetings with our organizations we support all too often, or at least we used to, at least, or I should say I used to. And already in my mind, I'm thinking, so how is this going to fit into five days of something or what ILT, who are my resources to do? Yeah. Before I even ask a question about what the business problem is, you're talking about a very different approach. And my friend, in my 38 years of doing this, I have found L&D, if I may, to be not the more risk averse or change industries that we get a part of. So this is a significant change mm -hmm. for many leaders in particular, because you have it trickles down. I've always believed that. So friend, what do you see in here that's preventing us from fully integrating 
or move into this kind of movement. You know what you called it? The five moments of need conundrum. Yep. The five <laughs> moments of need conundrum. Where does that, that come from? Well, you know, I came up with that really from a lot of conversations and other things that I've seen occur on LinkedIn as an mm. example of this. And so a recent example was a conversation that was occurring on LinkedIn. And I had shared with the author that I thought the most significant barrier to contributing to and really showing our value uh, within the organization has been the mindset of and about learning and development for the last two decades. Mm. We are mm. course producers, right? I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. You kind of, I, I feel there's my apologetic sense to everybody who's young and starting off is I created this beast. I apologize, but I am trying <laughs> to change that beast, you know? Yep. And unfortunately, I see it here all the time. I see it in polls, I see it in surveys and webinars, online discussions and everything. And every time we're talking about learning, we're still talking about learning for the first time. And we don't, I never or rarely ever see a conversation that goes beyond that learning for the first time. Yep. And you're sitting yep. here, if I had hair, I'd have pulled it out. But I'm <laughs> like sitting here going, we're missing out on four-fifths of the solution when all we keep talking about is courses. And so the problem is, is we've kind of cornered ourselves and we've been cornered within our organizations into formal learning products. And because yep. of this, we've built this entire industry that supports the 10 to 20% of formal learning. And even though we've seen all this countless research papers stating that limited impact of that, we keep staying there for some reason. Let me go a, a little out of sequence here on you, my friend, because I love the flow where this is going. So, you know, we're an industry steeped in that stuff, right? We are in learning science, learning theory. And I, man, I sound terrible because they came across kind of uh, condescending in a way. The, the tone wasn't great. And I have an advanced degree in education. I believe we are in a business, a service business that's like others that needs to be held accountable. We shouldn't be winging it. All right. I don't want my doctor to be winging it. I want my doctor to be steeped in, in medical science and so on. But I also want my doctor to be open to new approaches, new theories, and not be putting leeches on me, for instance. Right. <laughs> so when it comes to our industry, you know, how do you think we might be hindered, if you will, by the science of learning? You know, how do you think it might keep us or be leading us astray or might it not helping us get there where we think we could be? Well, the thing we have to kind of be cautious about with at least learning science, in my experience, is that learning science is really interdisciplinary when you think about it. So mm -hmm. there's psychology, there's sociology, there's neuroscience, and they all have their own focus when they do their research. And so when we're kind of digesting that research, we really owe it to ourselves to say, well, what was this uh, researcher's, this author's intent? with their actual research. So what was the lens that they're looking at that particular problem through, right? How long did they conduct that research and where was that research conducted? So when you see a lot of that research, a lot of it's conducted in a classroom, typically, you know, elementary, you know, middle school or high school. Sure. And it's over a period of time. And those are not luxuries that we have in learning and development. So when we're reading this research and when we're hearing about it, which I do all the time, just as you probably do, you kind of have to step back and look at it and say, okay, what's the bigger picture of that research? Because the implications of just going ahead and implementing that could mm. lead you down a path you don't want to go down because the focus of where that research is going may not jive with the culture yep. that you're actually applying it to in your organization. So friend, I've always said to some degree, we're in the marketing and sales business, right? I mean, we, we are trying to get people to behave differently or behave in a new way that anyone steeped in sales or marketing that's kind of the job they're in, right? I want you, I want you to convince you to use my product. I want to convince you to think this different way. I want to continue to adopt a particular lifestyle. So, so you do this other thing. 
you know, it's almost been taboo sometime in our business that, that we're kind of in that world, but we really are, right? We've got to help others in this journey see the value, mm-hmm. right? And so elevator pitch. Yes. What is yours, my friend? When you're changing mindset, you're, you're sitting in that leadership chair. Part of our role as being learning leaders is to, of course, manage our team and help the change of mindset there. But at yes. the same time, we have to step back and change the mindset of the industry and the organization of which we are a part of who are our consumers or the people with whom we serve. What's your way of beginning that journey or helping them understand? Well, I call it my football elevator speech. So <laughs> I grew up in Texas and met my wife, ironically, in upstate New York and followed her back to Wisconsin. And both Wisconsin and Texas share a passion for football. Mm-hmm. So knowing that in both states, I'm like, I can tie into this with my elevator speech because now I can associate the, the transformation of learning development with something that they're familiar with, that they have passion about, which in this case was football. So what happens is, and, and you've probably heard this over all your years, Bob, is that you get that I want request, right? From mm-hmm. that leader, I want a course, right? They've got the problem. They've already got the solution. They want a course. And they've kind of cornered you into this space. And so typically my response is, do you want to win this game or every game, including the Super Bowl? Mm. And what it usually does is that it gives pause to the person who's asking me the request long enough for me to open up the door to having a conversation with regards to helping change that mindset. And that is, you know, I could build you a course today and yeah, it might help you win the game tomorrow, but then what's next, right? Right. And really what I draw out, it's like, you know, that, that course is the equivalent of like preseason training. Great. I did this for you. But if that's what you're hoping is going to win you the Super Bowl, we're not going to get there. Right. Yep. You're doing nothing else from that point to winning the Super Bowl to continually support performance improvement. And all you have to do is look at a football team and how they continually adjust over the season to see, for instance, if they get to the championship or not. And those teams that do get to, you know, at least the playoffs, those that don't, yep. they're not there. So that analogy has really resonated with people, especially here in Wisconsin, leaders here in Wisconsin, because obviously the Green Bay Packers have a very rich traditional history here. And when I tell it to them that way, all of a sudden that aha light bulb goes on. Oh, I get it, right? It's not just the course. It's we have to continue to evolve week after week, the the next challenge, the next game, things like that. Love that. You know, we are in the learning journey business, not the learning event business. Exactly. Right. And like you said a moment ago, too often we are only associated with and we're comfortable with just serving up that first game. Yes. Right. That first school them up onboarding thing. But to your point, if we are going to be a part of the of the ongoing professional development and growth for organizations and associate our work with ultimately helping the organization achieve its goals, we have to be a part of every game, every play, every part, every injury, every, you know, the new opponent we're facing next week. You know, all those things. And again, as Dr. Gofferson, my, my dear colleague would say, those can't always be addressed with a course. That's correct. Or another, exactly. let's just put him in a class again. Let's just, right? Because the, the, the context of those moments, i.e. the five moments which he coined, are remarkably different. And we have to have a game plan, if I can yes. keep running with this, <laughs> or, <laughs> right? For the, for the, for the ways and way in which we intentionally meet those moments of need, right? Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So, so deliverables we're talking, right? And we're not yes. in the deliverable business, right? I, I, it's so funny. Again, I, I think what's hurt us as an industry, and, I, and again, I, I'm, I'm careful with the us thing because us means me. I was, my, I mean, I'm in the, on the 20th year of my journey of this thing, right? And I was diehard Addy and couldn't wait to get asked for five more days of something or nine more earnings <laughs> on this. You know, that was what, you know, put food on my table and it was what my team was comfortable doing. But the yeah. problem is, Joe, is that then we became associated with a thing, 
Yes, we did. Right. This this deliverable thing. And we were and we were measured by how good it was. Was it delivered on time? Was it fast? Was it did people like it when they left it? Did they give us fives on the evals? You know, and that's somewhere along the journey, the means became the ends. Correct. Right. And and you argue that we're not necessarily in the product business, right? It's not. Yeah, we have products to deliver. In the end, we have to produce this thing. Yes. But it's not just about the product. In fact, you had an interesting quote. You said, it's not just about the product, just ask Apple. Yes. Who, by the way, makes billions selling a lot of product. Selling a lot of products. They sure do. But two years ago, Tim Cook gets up in front of the world and said, we're just not a product company anymore. We're a service company. And everything changed. And even though Apple had been providing different service lines, you know, and especially because these were all profit making for them. He changed the focus of what Apple was about. So it wasn't just about sales of iPhones or iPods or what have you. It also became about their streaming services and things Mm -hmm. like that. And so now he opened up a whole new revenue stream that really opened up people's eyes to Apple being a much more comprehensive provider than just simply somebody who was providing you with your phone or your headphones or something like that. And that's the type of transformation that you've obviously been proposing for 20 years. And certainly I am on that wagon is that it's great we produce the iPhone, but now how are we supporting our users in the use of that iPhone going on? What new apps and things are we giving to them that makes their life easier, that flow of life for them? Want to check the weather? Weather app. Want to know where my kids are at? I can look at the calendar. I can do find my iPhone. Those are the the performance, you know, those moments of need and performance that we seem to miss out on because we just produced the the chorus, or in this case, the phone, and we didn't do anything else. I find those that are in the service business ask different questions than those that are that see themselves as delivering a product. Yeah. If you're driving towards the course, you limit your questions and your deliverables by that end, right? But if you are in the, I love you said earlier, making people's life easier, making, in our case, we, we want to make staff more productive. You want your franchises to be efficient and effective and deliver safe and good food and make a profit and, you know, all those things, those are the questions you ask around, how do I help support those deliverables and those services with whatever service gets me there will help you as an L&D group build very different things than what will probably be a course here and there, but a much broader offering. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Joe, if you don't mind, where where have you gotten in your deliverables, your Mm -hmm. products? What does your portfolio look like there now? So let me give you a great example. So we have our own proprietary point of sale system, our operating system. So your order comes in and at that moment, I'm, I'm giving some type of learning resource to associate with that particular order. So if you would imagine that here I am, I'm making your pizza. I see the order come up. We have these big TV monitors there in them. our stores. Yeah. <laughs> so we have that big TV monitor. And on that monitor, what you probably didn't see is I'm listing out the ingredients for that pizza the measures of those ingredients for that pizza. And then there's a video of actually making that really? pizza. Yeah. So that new employee or even more experienced employee who may have never made your type of pizza before is seeing everything right there. And it follows them on the screens because there's two screens on the end and one screen on the middle of most stores. And so they're seeing this the whole way through. So therefore, they don't have to commit to memory what the ingredients are for mm-hmm. every specific mm-hmm. pizza because we do change our menu four times a year. So they don't have to commit any of that to memory. It also cuts down the training time for that general manager sure. who's a busy person. Now they're going like, all right, look, this order comes in. Here's what you're doing. 
you know, and you just follow these steps. You, you know, we have everything in cups and measures, whatever else. So it's all pre-done for them. It just makes their life easier. If we're selling a new product, when it comes up on our screen, they're informed that the person who's working the, the computer at that time sees what that new product's about and is able to talk to the customer right there from the screen, as an example. Wow. If a person, you know, we've introduced a vegan menu, right? Mm. And so vegan has some very interesting questions, depending on who you ask. I have two daughters who are vegan. I certainly was educated about the world of veganism and how far people may take it. For some people, it's just food. For some people, it's a lifestyle, right? So when they're being asked those questions, we have guidance for them in our system for the person that they're talking to, to help understand exactly where their frame of thought is so that they can answer the question more appropriately and more accurately based on what it is they want. You know, what I love about that, Joe, is the most common, and I just did a podcast on vocabulary before this one, the yep, most common, right? The most common vocabulary side of this is we throw workflow learning around a lot. We sure do. And what you just described is to me, the quintessential example of workflow learning while in the flow of work, they were provided with resources, training, sure, but prompts or information that while working, they learned. And at the end, they produced something well, putting learning in the flow of work and like an e-learning or something, which by the way, those are fine too, Mm -hmm. but putting that in there that I have to leave the context of my work, even though I might be still sitting in my cubicle, for instance, but Mm -hmm. cognitively, I step away from my CRM. I step away from my point of sale product and I watch a 20 minute video about another scenario or, or that kind of stuff. And then I have to cognitively come back and go, okay, well, that was great. But now I'm in Fort Mill looking at this point of thing. How do I make that right? It's funny because one of the cons funnier stories is when you're trying to teach this principle to some IDs, Mm -hmm. staunch IDs at a very prestigious uh, at the time, corporate university, Mm -hmm. one of the older gentlemen class raised their hand and goes, well, what about practice? And Khan goes, well, what about practice? He goes, well, where's practice? Khan goes, well, it's it's a step out for a second. Practice in its most purest form is kind of doing it. Yes. Right. It's so you described Joe practicing making that pizza. But when I get done, I actually have made a pizza. Yes, you had. It was ordered and I learned through practicing and doing, but I didn't step to the back room to take that course back there and then come back to the floor. And, you know, that nuance changes the entire game. It does. Right. And so I'm going to give you some props here. What inspired that model for me, and you were at Microsoft, was that old paperclip that used to <laughs> pop up. I cannot remember that paperclip's name, but the fact Clippy. that you're laughing about it makes you, you remember it. So we're showing our age here. Yeah. And as annoying as that paperclip was back in the day, it was brilliant. It, it was. was embedded learning at that moment of need. And nobody saw it. I certainly couldn't grasp it back then. But looking back, I'm going, that was a brilliant idea. It was embedded learning at that moment of need. Yeah, it was asking me, I'm writing a letter. Of course, I'm writing a letter. But it was interpreting what I was trying to do and giving me resources that I could use right then. Right. And that was the beginning of that change in that mindset, which, which it sounds like exactly what you're doing in your stores. I bet the time to competency in your stores the, the way in which training that store has to set aside to, frankly, not profitable effort, but putting people in, into those lines sooner, the sooner you can turn over new product and yeah. get your staff up and going and selling and delivering on that product. It sounds like it's all accelerated through taking more of a workflow learning approach. It is. In fact, a great measure that we use is what we call our out the door time. So when mm-hmm. we start making that order until we get it out the door, we've watched. So we had a general measure in place of a certain period of time of get the idea out the door. And before the implementation 
of that solution, probably about only a third of our stores were meeting that standard. Mm. Now more than 80% are meeting oh that standard. Oh my gosh. See, see, and it, because it just makes it that much easier. They don't have to commit to memory. They're just doing it. And what I love about your answer, my friend, that we've been chasing an L&D as long as I've been at it, was those were business measure answers for your effectiveness, not throughput right. or completion or certificates or right it was and there's not a business alive that doesn't want an L&D team to obviously contribute to the bottom line and speak and understand the talk and the and the need and the output of the business right absolutely yep yep so hey You've mentioned this earlier. I want to go a little bit deeper in this before we wrap up. Digital sure. transformation, right? This is very trendy right now. They were in the middle of a day. <laughs> yeah, you sure hear it is. in almost every, it's in LinkedIn a ton. But at the same time, you know, and, and, and I get it. It's rolled down onto training because even at the C-suite level, they're all buying into this and they get it, the digital transformation and the skills that support that. How do you think that has lifted or maybe is in compliance or aligning with this shift to what we're trying to do here? Well, I think it fits beautifully into really the need to implement the five moments of need. Because when we talk about skills, you know, that very often, at least in our experience, skill is I'm giving you that knowledge. I'm training you to do something. But then we start talking about the competency, which I think is what a lot of CEOs are talking about. I think they're interchanging these two terms. Hmm. Skills is like, you know, I coach my daughters in soccer. Skills is dribbling the ball, passing, stuff like that. But that doesn't mean you can play the game. (laughs) That's the competency part. Can you play the game? And so I think what a lot of these leaders are looking for is competency. Can you now apply those skills and become a productive member of our workforce? Hmm. And then when we really talk about that, when we want to understand competency, we've got to move ourselves away from the classroom to the flow of work to understand what are the challenges that our learners are having within that work. And it grows very big from there because then you start thinking about leadership culture, organizational culture, workflow technology. What process are they using? I helped implement Agile as an example of this at a previous organization, and that was a monstrous cultural shift for them mm, working huge. Agile. But this is part of the digital transformation. And so as those things, as you know, as we live through this digital transformation, what we've lived through in the past year, it means a big shift in the way that we do things. And the only way to understand that is to be present with your learners, to follow them to the work, to understand what they're being presented with. And how quickly can you come up with a needed solution very quickly? Yeah, you know, I've said this in past podcasts, but when I sat through my first, what we call RWA, which is rapid workflow analysis, I was, boy, 15-ish years, maybe more into my career. I have, like I said, advanced degree in education uh, here in the States. And I sat in the back of the room, Joe, listened to this whole thing, pivot on what you just said, you know, not, not what they need to know or what the SMEs thinks are important and stuff. We, we kind of got around to that eventually, but the entire first day was around having actual performers in the room, some SMEs, some not, frankly, and just hashing out what they did. Yes. What challenges did they face? What did their workflow look like? And I remember when that day ended, I left and I was like, I, I don't, I mean, I've written at this point hundreds of courses, if not thousands. I've led learning teams. I had no clue what any of that was. I, I, I never asked half those questions. It started right out with, so what should they need to know? What do you folks think is important? And I'll, I'll map to that. It wasn't about, well, okay, yeah, but what context in which does all that go back to? Yep. That, again, is one of the big things for me. And I think why the success of the scenario you described earlier is because you obviously, Joe, have an intimate understanding of what that workflow in those shops is like. And therefore, you can create a solution, class or not, in this case, not, that met that need in that workflow and was efficient, effective, and got the job done. Yeah, thank you, Bob. And it's actually part of our initial training for everybody. 
who joins toppers. So recently we just brought on a new vice president of business development and he spent five days mm. pizza. <laughs> he understands how that store works now. I did the same thing when I joined toppers. We all do. And so you get that intimate knowledge of who your customers are, in this case, the people in our stores and what they are working with. And then you wind up developing better solutions, I think. Wow. Brilliant. You've been on a remarkable journey, my friend. Thank you me. should have talked a lot earlier. <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I'm inspired, uh, as I always am in these interviews, by by the remarkable work folks are doing. So this is my favorite question to ask you folks who've sort of just gotten to this wonderful place. Of course, we both have a ways to go. But if you could look back, my friend, at yourself, a lot of people who listen to this are not as far along, right? Some will be brand new to the terminology, let alone making the mind shift to what you described today. This is, it seems distant to them, at least. If you could look back at yourself then, right? The early Joe Dunlop. In the early Joe Dunlop. Right? Back okay. when you were steeped in the whole deal and, and thought that was the end and you'd, you'd retire making courses. <laughs> what, what, would you, what would you tell yourself? Absolutely. And it's actually a modification of a Patty Shank quote, right? Mm, so Patty. this came out, unfortunately, years after I'd been in my career. But at the time when I was, and ironically, I was going through the transformation, I'm like, boy, I could have used that 10 years ago. But she basically said, you know, the most important outcome in workplace learning is not delivering content. It's developing skills and competencies that improve organizational performance. Mm. And if I had known that, People back in the day when I was learning, learning development, when I came on board, if we were all had known that, I bet you the picture of L&D would be much different today. We wouldn't be having the same conversations year after year. For 20 years, we keep having the same conversations about getting mm -hmm. to the C-suite and having impact. Why is it we're still having these same conversations year after year? Because we're still stuck in that course mindset. Mm -hmm. If we had all bought into that particular quote, I bet you our conversation would be much different today in L&D. Well, you are in a much different place, my friend. You're a, what I call courageous learning leader. And it's an honor, <laughs> well, to, honor you, to know you. It's an honor to have had you on for the call. And, and I know now why my toppers experience was so spectacular. Yeah. I am so thrilled that you had a great experience. I'm going to be sharing that with the store owner. I'm sure they'll be happy as well. Well, it comes from great leadership and great training and great performance support and the way you've helped your organization. So, so I can't thank you enough, Joe, for being here, for your story, for sharing it so candidly and openly. I know it's going to help others get to the place where you are today. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.